Well, this morning uh, we're continuing our series from 1 Peter. Uh, we have been continuing it online. I'd like you to think about the thought of belonging. Uh, so, what group do you belong to? Well, what is the group that you most identify with? Uh, growing up, uh, where we, we have these questions around who do I belong to? Who are my people? Uh, I know growing up, I, when I was in high school, I joined one social group and it was kind of, they, they were kind of like the jocks, uh, the, the sporty group. And I loved being a part of this group, but then I was part of another group. And one day uh, we were playing this game of keepings off. And in the middle of this game of keepings off, one of the guys that I went to primary school with that was also at the same high school, he wouldn't throw the ball to me. I said, why didn't you throw the ball? I said, well, no, you're part of that group. We're, we're <laughs> and it was in that moment that I realized, actually, I actually fit better in that group. I don't like this group, and I don't like the way they interact with each other. I was still friends with them, but that's kind of how I found out the group that I, or the cohort that I was a part of amongst the 200 or so boys that were in my year level at school. Uh, what are the groups that you belong to growing up? Where was the place that you found your sense of identity? Uh, it's sometimes in skills we have, passions we like, work we do, families that we're a part of. Where, where did you find your identity? See, the person whose identity is strong, when they face suffering, is able to find their sense of resolve in it. The person whose identity is not strong, when they face suffering, it causes them to question, what's my purpose? Where do I fit? When the suffering is particularly personal or directed, it causes those questions to rise bigger. And if your identity is not strong, usually you'll end up in this place of disconnection and depression because the suffering causes you to question whether you fit in even at all. Let me tell you about a guy called Tio Soga. He was the first ordained uh, black South African minister born in 1829. Uh, he went and did some training over in Scotland. And in his training over in Scotland, he met his wife, Janet, who was a lovely white Scottish woman. They got married in 1856 and he went back to South Africa. When he went back to South Africa, he, he didn't fit in any group. He was called the black Englishman by, because he was trying to be too English in the eyes of those who were part of his uh, community. He wasn't accepted amongst the white South African people because of the color of his skin. He went and he preached the gospel all around uh, the country, longing for people to come to faith in Jesus and as a Christian. He was persecuted for his faith. And yet, he lived this beautiful life. He was a man ahead of his time. He, he really grasped the gospel. He, he wrote this beautiful letter to his kids. As he, he wanted his kids to go off and to be able to have an education uh, in Scotland as he had an education. And he, he wrote this letter saying, uh, if, if anyone... If anyone persecutes you or insults you, wait two days before you respond. Uh, when you're over there, don't get caught up in the decadent lifestyle of the 
people of that area. Uh, we, we look at it and we go, that wasn't decadent at all. But to them, it was incredibly decadent. Uh, and then his third piece of advice was, even though you're mixed race children, your blood is the same within. Don't let anyone look down on you or treat you differently. His kids went on to be uh, the first black South African lawyer and other significant roles in life. Doctors uh, had eight children, uh, died at a young age, uh, age 40 from tuberculosis. And he was an amazing person. The, the suffering though he went through in life was significant, but his identity as a Christian was firm through every season of that life such that he could live such a contrasting life to everyone else and still be secure. Suffering then, let alone suffering in the the times that 1 Peter was written, significantly different to suffering now. We, We recognize that, but all suffering feels like suffering. So when someone's going through suffering now, and maybe uh, I like to think of uni students, because uni students will say, oh, I'm so busy, my life is so stressful. (laughs) And anyone that knows them looks at them and goes, well, actually, it's only just started. Just wait till you have kids, get a real job. Uh, (laughs) Just wait till you, like, the suffering that you experience in the moment feels like the the greatest amount of suffering that you're ever going to go through. Uh, The suffering we experience is is probably nothing in comparison to what what 1 Peter talks about. But suffering is still suffering. It still causes us to question our identity, where we fit, what's our purpose, where do I belong? And so we can learn from 1 Peter, because it speaks into suffering now, but it also speaks into how we're called to live this Christian life. Uh, last week, if you joined us online, uh, thank you for joining us online and thank you for being patient as we get together our technology. I rejoiced deeply in my heart as we were released this week because it's just a little bit easier for us to meet in person. Uh, last week when we looked at 1 Peter, we looked at how Quite often in our world, uh, we want to live in a buy now, pay later. Uh, But as Christians, we're called to live in a pay now, receive our reward later. So in the world, we we want to receive the reward now and bear the cost later. As Christians, we're called to bear the cost now in order to reap our reward in heaven. So that's the way that we're called to live in this world. But we, so we experience suffering. Uh, there's a couple of types of suffering that one Peter's talked about. One suffering is just the general suffering of the world. Another suffering is a suffering that comes because you make the wrong decision. Uh, this morning I was reading a, a lovely article of a woman who usually does what's called dry July. So dry July, she'll drink no alcohol through July and then they'll follow it up with wet August and make up for July. And her mother died, I I think it was the year before, uh, just before this dry July. And as she hit the end of dry July, that I think it was last year, she decided, actually, I'm not ready to drink again. I don't think it's going to be helpful for me. And so she had dry August. Her husband had wet August. And then he looked at her life and the way it was different as a result of not drinking. And he liked 
what he saw. And he decided that actually he was going to stop drinking. And as a result, their lives have changed. Now, the the suffering of drinking uh, brings hardship on oneself. (laughs) That's, That's a certain kind of suffering in this world. The other kind of suffering is just suffering in general. But then there's another kind. There's a suffering that's according to God's will. Uh, verse 19 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Uh, 1 Peter 2 uh, talked about suffering and it said, If you suffer, uh, and it is God's will, and so that phrase, if you suffer and it is God's will, shows to us that actually, if you're in suffering, it's not caused by you, it might not be God's will. Maybe it's suffering at the hands of someone else. That might not be God's will. And it's good to understand that because that empowers us to go, actually, I don't need to live in this suffering. That doesn't need to be my life. But then there's another sort of suffering. It's the kind of suffering that is God's will, a kind of suffering that causes us uh, to grow and to be shaped. All suffering gives us an opportunity as we are squeezed by it to grow and be shaped. As in, like when the pressure comes, or what is inside you comes out. But there's a certain kind of suffering that is according to God's will. What is that suffering? When God sent his son into the world, his son suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. Uh, when God created the world, his creation rejected him. The kind of suffering that's according to God's will is the kind of suffering that comes from when we find our identity in him. Like Tiro Sogo, who, as he took on his Christian faith, lived it out. That's the kind of suffering that's according to God's will. That he suffered because of the skin color that he was born with is not a suffering according to God's will. That's not God's will that someone should suffer because of their skin color, because of where they were born, because of their gender, or anything like that. But there's a certain kind of suffering as we take on our identity as members of the family of God that we're called to continue in, in order to glorify God. And that is our identity as Christians. When you become a Christian, you take on an identity that is very different to the world. Uh, It says of us, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What does light do? It pushes back darkness. The very nature that light exists pushes back darkness. And so light brings judgment to darkness, whether it means it or not. And when we bring judgment, others bring judgment against us. And as a result, suffering is produced. This is the kind of suffering that is according to God's will, that as we find our identity in him, we identify with the suffering that he experiences as our creator God in creating a creation, a people that reject him. And so as we represent him and experience suffering, that is according to his will, and it presses us in to finding our identity in him. So when we take on the identity of being a Christian, it's not all swings and roundabouts. We should expect to experience rejection in this world. We should expect it. We should expect a certain level of judgment to come from other people when we 
suffer according to the will of our Creator. Now, when I, I look at this and consider us, uh, why, what, when we find our identity as Christian, what we're essentially doing is we're finding our home with God. We're brought into the family as sons and daughters and we find that God is our home. So as we're with him, he feels more like home than anywhere else. At some level, St. Barnabas is a church. As we gather as Christians, this feels like home. It's a, it's a spiritual home. And so that has that resonance in us that I'm a, I'm a home here. This is God's place. This is where God wants me. And so as we gather, we not only share identity, that identity feels like home to us. We feel a security in it. Now, as we go out into the world, we're called to be aliens and strangers in the world. So in the world, uh, whether it's part of our family, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our school, our university, whatever, we shouldn't at some level feel at home there because we're at home most in our relationship with God. So our connection with Jesus is the place that we're called to find our home a place of security. Now, I, I think we don't experience suffering as much as we might because at some level as Christians, we find our home here and then we try and find our home in the world, don't we? We find our home here and then we try and find our home in the family because how do you be liked? You be like people. In order to be liked, you be like people. And so we go and seek to be liked in wherever we are, rather than remembering actually the place where we're liked most is by our God. We're loved most there, and therefore it's okay to be not at home in other places in life. See, Jesus calls us to uh, go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to, to obey everything that he's taught us, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism? It's a death to an old way of living, and a rising to new life, inclusion in the new family. So baptism is your entry point, your sign of being part of the people of God. Your identity has changed. If you're here and you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized, I, I would love to help you with that. I know sometimes people sneak through the gaps a, a little bit, but it's a really important, significant thing for us as Christians. But there's a whole lot contained in that command from Jesus in what we're actually called to do. Go out and make disciples. Oh wait, so not just make disciples here? We li I like making disciples here. It's a, it's a comfort zone for me. I like growing, teaching, encouraging people here. Discipleship starts before someone's even made a proclamation as to what it means to follow Jesus. To the person that had dry uh, July and continued it on and found life worked better, well, actually, that's kind of a teaching from the Bible. Like, it's in, it's in Proverbs, uh, it's in the New Testament, don't get drunk on, the, on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, find a different high. We can show people a, dip, a better way of living before they even come to Jesus, and then we point them to Jesus. We make disciples. But I think one of the reasons that we don't experience much suffering or persecution as Christians is because we don't go out and make disciples. Topic for another day, uh, but 
that's a thought to seed in there. The persecution we might be expected to experience is not experienced because we're not fulfilling the full mission of who we are called to be in this world. So if suffering comes from judgment, this is what I think we want and this is what I think 1 Peter flips on the head for us. Uh, We want judgment for others now (laughs) and judgment for me later, right? The person that does the wrong thing and cuts you off in traffic, where's a police officer when you need them, (laughs) right? Judgment for others right now. But judgment for, for me later, oh, you know, I sometimes, I'm not perfect, I don't do the right thing. Uh, but the way 1 Peter flips it is he says judgment for me now, judgment for others later. So that is judgment starts, it says in 1 Peter, for the people of God. Judgment will eventually come to all people, but judgment is a reality. And so God, in convicting us of of sin, brings a judgment to us. You're you're living this way, you need to live a different way. And so by His Spirit, He convicts us to live a different way as the people of God. And as we seek to to do that, He sanctifies us, He makes us holy, He sets us apart. And so we experience a judgment now. Uh, You're not like us. Oh, that's right, because my identity's found into God. And as the world pushes away from us, and as God pulls us towards him, he makes us holy. And we have this moment to be more and more secure in identity. And that's the journey of being a Christian, a journey of seeing judgment and then responding to it in a way that produces holiness in us. As a Christian, you're judged worthy of suffering for Jesus. That is, representing him in the world. uh, When we experience suffering as a result of being a Christian, declaring our faith, we're judged worthy of suffering for Jesus. And that's the kind of suffering that we're called to. And when we're judged and experience the suffering now, we're, we're also judged worthy of the reward of eternity with Jesus. So the cost now, suffering now, the reward in the future. Uh, The message to outsiders that has been proclaimed with fire and brimstone over the years is, your judgment is coming. What will you be judged as? And that's what 1 Peter is saying, that it's judgment for us now, judgment for others later. We as Christians uh, will... My answer to judgment is look at Jesus... On the cross, he bore all of my wrongdoing in order to present me right before God. So I can say, look at Jesus. That's my answer to suffering. But your judgment is coming. What will you be judged as? What would your non-Christian friends or family, uh, colleagues, what would they say? A lot of people will say, well, I've been a good person. I've lived a, a good enough life. I I believe that God will accept me in. And so the question is, why? Why will God accept you? Why have you hit the measure? In whose eyes have you hit the measure? It's your own. (laughs) How can you be sure? I'm, I'm sure that my Father in heaven will receive me because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave. But for someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, how can you be sure? So my answer to judgment is, I can look at Jesus. 
But what about when Jesus looks at me? What about when Jesus looks at me? See, James, he talks about uh, in, in the letter to James, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. We've been talking about identity. If you know who you are, you know who you're called to be in this world. So what, what, are, what does what you do say about who you are? What does about how we live say about who we are as Christians in this world? That should challenge each of us. It challenges me deeply because I realize actually I need to live out authentically more of who I am in this world as a Christian to follow Jesus' mission and to be his light to the world. So what do my works say about who I see myself as? And remember, we're all called to give an account for what we've done in this life. That's a, that's a challenging thought. Yes, you're saved by grace through faith, but you're saved for, not just saved from, saved for. And so with this in mind, I want to challenge your perspective. In, in the past, the, the judgment message was preached uh, fear hell, follow Jesus. The judgment message was preached in the past. Uh, there's actually a more significant message that I think people need to hear. What enables us to go through suffering? We need to actually have a vision beyond the suffering. When prospectors came to Australia, they were looking for gold. They, they had a vision of wealth. And what did they go through? Significant suffering, significant hardship. They gave up everything, went to places, dug through rocks, uh, slept, uh, dug through the water, went, died in, in caves, prospecting for gold. Because they had a greater vision of gold, of wealth that could be achieved as a result of the, the suffering efforts that they went through. They went through suffering because they saw a greater glory. Tio Soga went through suffering because he saw a greater thing. When you are thinking about buying a new property, uh, some people are the kind of person that looks for something that's fully tarted up and ready to go. And so you see the gold already, but you also see more than that. You, you look at the house and you go, I could see myself living in that house. I could see myself really enjoying life. This is where we do this and this is where we do that. When Katie and I sold a unit, we, we saw a couple, they, they were just sitting on the couch, they were kind of leaning back, and you could see that they were imagining themselves sitting with our furniture in, a, in our room. They didn't get the house in the end, but they bid pretty strongly for it. And so they were willing to go through the suffering of a mortgage, etc., quite a significant mortgage, in, in order to get that property. Some people will buy a house that looks terrible. Uh, we did that, and Katie's mum walked through the house and said, whatever you do, don't buy that house. And that was the house that we bought. And I had a vision for what we could do with it. And we did that with it over four months of really hard work, suffering, lifting bricks. Uh, uh, you know, my muscles doubled in size because, you know, I was a theology student. I, I was lifting books, not even big books, because a lot of them are computerized these days. And so I went through suffering as a result. Through life, we're able to go through suffering when we have a vision of something greater. 
Uh, The vision that we're called to have as Christians is to see that there is gold that is yet uh, to be dug up in the land that we're in. Baldwin is called the House of the Vine. It's because someone saw uh, this land as useful for vineyards and made wine from it. Eventually, the soil was no longer good for, for making grapes so you could make wine. And so someone else had a vision for the land and they did other things with it, it even before houses were planted on it. I bet you wish that you had the kind of vision to purchase some of that property back then and hold it for all this time to know the wealth that it's worth now. But even today, someone will come into this area and go, oh, I could buy that property and I could put two houses on it. Well, I could put 10 houses on it. And so they've got a vision for something that is greater and are willing to go through suffering in order to get it. Uh, The vision that we're called to be captured by is the vision of a whole company of people worshipping in heaven. That is our friends, our family, our colleagues, our butcher, our grocer, everyone worshipping in heaven. The cost that we bear now is rejection and suffering in order to reap the reward of everyone living in eternity with God together. We need, as St. Barnabas, to be captured by a vision that extends beyond our walls, beyond ourselves, beyond the temporal to eternity, that no one we know would experience judgment because they haven't had the opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. And so that's the calling for us to live the cost now in order to reap the reward future, knowing the reward is people, the reward is in relationship, and it's a relationship we already know now and can invite others into. And so the identity declaration I've got for us uh, this morning is I'm called to carry the suffering of Christ that I may display the glory of Christ. I'm called to take up my cross and to follow Jesus. So if you're willing to make this declaration, uh, let me invite you to declare it out now. I am called to carry the suffering of Christ that I may display the glory of Christ. Uh, Father God, we come to you and we pray to you, looking to you as the one who loves us and cares for us, that continually extends kindness towards us, I thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we're at, Lord, that you understand our circumstances, that you understand us. Uh, Thank you that you understand what we're comfortable with, uh, what we're not comfortable with. But thank you that, Lord, you, you work with us in that. Thank you, Lord, that you're patient with us as you call us to change. Uh, Stir in us, Lord, a boldness and a desire uh, to pursue the purpose that you have for us in the world. Lord, as we experience the the various levels of suffering from just living in the world, uh, we, we pray that you would use all of that to push us deeper into our relationship with you, our love for you, our identity in you. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in hope, fill our our mind, our dreams, fill our our sleep, even our our waking hours 
with a, with a vision of eternity, Lord, of, of seeing people connected to you. Help us, Lord, to, to see beyond the now and to, to look with hope uh, to a future that we can all share with you. Uh, Lord, we're, we're discouraged or downtrodden. Uh, renew us. Renew our strength. Help us to find our home anew in you. Lord, you're a good God and you care for us. But you don't only care for us, Lord, you care for, for the whole world. And Lord, as we think about the suffering we experience, we, we think about the suffering of the persecuted church, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know there's many Christians all around the world who suffer far more than we suffer. Uh, Lord, we think of Lord, we think of the Christians in Indonesia, Lord. Uh, we think of them as they, they live under a state that does not uh, support them. Uh, Lord, an environment, Lord, that uh, sees them as, as infidels. Uh, Lord, an environment where they, they don't experience the same level of freedom or, or tolerance or religion. We, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless them with courage to continue to follow you, even when persecution comes. We pray for, for change in their government, Lord. Uh, change uh, to the religious position uh, that, Lord, their government uh, would grant greater freedom to, to Christians to worship and be. We pray for those Christians, Lord, who experience our persecution uh, in, in their workplace, uh, in their, their livelihood being disrupted uh, just because of their following of you. Continue to give them courage to represent you boldly. Continue to help them to hold firm in faith. Lord, there's so many countries around the world where Christians are persecuted and yet they proclaim with boldness you and your son Jesus. Give us, Lord, uh, in the relative freedom uh, we experience, the boldness to make you known, make our hope known, make a different way of living known. And we pray this through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from a time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing very shortly. What, what I'm going to do for us is uh, during communion, uh, we're going to sing the song When Trials Come. And so... What we're going to do is I'm going to lead us in confession uh, now as we come to communion and then the, the band will lead us uh, when trials come as we're coming up to and receiving communion. So knowing the goodness of God and our failure to respond with love and obedience, let's confess our sins praying together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have broken your holy laws and have left undone what we ought to have done. We are sorry for our sins 
and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, Hey kids, we're going to do communion now. Do you want to come in? Come in and sit on the seats. Toy time finished. Great. Thanks, Holly. Hey, Ellie, come and sit on a seat. Uh, Our Lord Jesus Christ said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Uh, so as we receive communion, uh, hey Holly, come on, come in, sit down. As we receive communion, we, we remember Jesus' suffering on the cross. Uh, we remember the meal that he shared uh, with the disciples uh, before that suffering. And that as he gave them the, the bread, uh, he said to them, eat this, remembering uh, my body broken for you. And as he gave them the cup, he said, drink this, remembering my blood shed for you. And so as we as Christians eat uh, in communion, as we as Christians eat the bread and and drink the juice or the wine in communion, we're saying my identity, my family, my hope is with Jesus. And so in this moment, it becomes a a point in our week, uh, it becomes a point where we go, this is who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is how... I'm going to live. I'm going to live from this place of Jesus' death and resurrection in this world. So let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, thank you for your love for us in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that he made a way for us to know and love you. Uh, Renew us in that hope. Uh, Strengthen us and refresh us as we gather that we may live out that hope in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.